Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. Okay, so today we are switching the host chairs again, and I'm going to be interviewing uh, Mike Watson, who is the regular, if you listen to this podcast, you know that he is the regular host. He's our research director here at Capital Research Center. Um, And part of the reason I wanted to interview him is because um, I get to read his op-eds before we place them. And he's written a really interesting one that is, it's it's pretty inside baseball, but I think it's an incredibly important topic. Um, And we've pitched it out. We're going to see where it lands. Um, But I wanted him to kind of explain what he's talking about because it marries a couple of issues that uh, people are discussing, but I don't think they understand or maybe haven't put together the connection between unions like uh, what we're seeing with the school boards and how that plays into election integrity essentially so Mm. hey mike welcome to the show welcome to your own show yes well yes welcome to my own show (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's just jump right into this you've written this really interesting uh op-ed you called it the organization game which i think is really interesting because it kind of speaks to uh, sort of the you, you kind of get into the mathematics behind or the mathematical kind of um, reality behind how the connection between unions and municipal elections. So give me just an overview of this op ed and then we can talk a little bit about specifics. Sure. So pulling out to, you know, 50,000 feet, if you look at municipal elections and how they are conducted, the rules of the game. They give structural advantages to well-established permanent special interests. And in municipal elections, oftentimes the most prominent, well-established, well-funded permanent special interest uh, are the government worker unions, most specifically the teachers union. Uh, And there are a number of way, a number of structures in the way that America conducts its municipal elections or large parts of America conduct their municipal elections uh, that allow these well-funded, permanently organized special interest groups to gain undue influence in municipal government. Which I think is what that's something that I think and you correct me if you're if I'm wrong here or if you have a different opinion, but the everyone's talking about now in the face of questions about election integrity, looking at municipal and local elections. And that's that's why I think this is so interesting, because that's kind of the heart of how this is all happening. Right. This question of is our activists kind of uh, running things at the local level? And is yeah, it I mean, it's I mean, it's expo- it, it's how the rules are gamed. I mean, you know, the, uh, you know, there's the new book out by Molly Hemingway on how. Mm-hmm activists exploited the rules of the game in the 2020 presidential election. Uh, there's they we, you know, we obviously we had in the program last week, William Doyle, who statistically backed out how Mark Zuckerberg's money was able to exploit the rules of the game. This is another case, but it's a case because it's in off your elections, because it's in local government uh, that doesn't quite get the the hype that presidential general elections do. Right. And so one of the most interesting things about your sort of theory here is that um, as I read it, and if anyone listening doesn't know, Mike is a union specialist. He's a labor specialist. So um, and so what 
what you do is you you in your general looking at, you know, labor policy, we follow the money. That's one of the things that we do. So your theory kind of seems to say that unions have and and the big funding behind unions uh, have this sort of power in local elections that essentially that's what you're talking. It's why we're seeing what's happening yeah. with the school boards. Right. Right. So there are three. So there are three ways that I focus on in this piece um, that three rules of the game that give union structural advantages. Mm -hmm. And your municipality may have some of them. It may have none of them. It may have all of them. Uh, you know, my municipality, uh, Anne Arundel County, Maryland, I know we have nonpartisan elections. Uh, so we have one of the three, um, but they're conducted in alignment with state and federal general elections. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have, you have off cycle elections, you know, you have a weird election for your school board and your municipal, you're like your town mayor in April of the odd numbered of the odd numbered year after a presidential election or something. Right. Uh, you have nonpartisan elections, so you don't get the voter doesn't get to know who's the liberal and who's the conservative or who's the environmentalist or who's the libertarian. Um, and then there is what's known as block voting. Uh, some places, instead of voting for a single candidate for a single seat, usually representing ge a certain geography, uh, you vote for a bunch of candidates and you can vote as many times for as many seats there are. And uh, especially when combined with the other two systems, you can end up with, again, these permanent organized interests like teachers unions having a structural advantage that allows them uh, a greater say in public policy than they would otherwise have. Okay, so. Uh, walk me through those three sort of ways that things are designed right now in our municipal elections. Um, and, and as briefly as you can, tell me how those things are um, influenced heavily by unions or by just sort of the gamesmanship that you're talking about. Sure. Uh, in terms of like how they came to be, it's a it's sort of a historical fact. Uh, a lot of these emerged out of the progressive movement and good government. And we're going to break the the political machines like Tammany Hall. Mm -hmm. um, and they've just kind of persisted, you know, over the over the, the decades since. Uh, but let's start with off. You know, let's start with off cycle elections. The idea mm -hmm. behind off cycle elections, you know, having your you know voting for mayor in April of the odd numbered year before a presidential election. I think that's what Chicago does. And that was, yeah, that is what Chicago does. Uh, and that was the example I used in the piece. Uh, the idea is that you're going to have motivated turnout who are going to vote on municipal issues. Well, what you actually get is just lower turnout. Uh, mm -hmm. In 2019, uh, just over 500,000 people voted in Chicago's April mayoral runoff election. Uh, in the 2020 presidential election, uh, 1.1 million people voted in Chicago. So the electorate shrinks by half. Uh, now, the size of the special interest groups, I use the Chicago Teachers Union in the piece, stays the same. Mm -hmm. And the you know municipal worker unions especially have a strong financial, and as we've seen with the COVID lockdowns, you know, other cynical reasons uh, to make sure that they show up 
for municipal election. So they're out there basically whipping votes, right? They're out there whipping votes, not, not only of their own members, uh, but also, you know, they have subscriptions to, uh, you know, data services like Catalyst. Uh, you know, they know who their voters are and they go whip them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go they go get them out. And as a result, again, they have more uh, more influence than they otherwise might. OK. OK, so that's the first example. Um, go through. Let's see. Let me look at the others that the off cycle, uh, the part, the non the partisan races. Talk about yes. that one. So. You know, if you're voting for president, congressman, senator, state legislator, unless you're in Nebraska, um, you know, governor, attorney general, whatever, you know, when you walk into the voting booth, even if you're just, you know, again, if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably deeply interested in the public policy process. Mm-hmm. Imagine that you're not. You're a big nerd like us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, if you're if you're if you're listening, I'm sorry, you're a nerd, just like just like me. <laughs> um, imagine that you're not. Imagine that you tune in, you know, Labor Day of the election year. You know, you have, you know, you kind of know, like, maybe you're in a construction union and you generally vote for who you think is going to help construction workers. Or you're a small business owner and you're going to vote for whoever's going to be better for small business owners. That might give you a you know, you might have a partisan allegiance, uh, but you don't follow the races particularly closely. You just kind of know, I am this party, I am that party. Mm-hmm. Walk into the voting voting booth, there it is on your ballot paper. You know, you know Smith, Republican, Jones, Democrat, Lee, Green, uh, Parker, Libertarian. You know, and you know based on your general outlook on life which one to choose. In a nonpartisan election, all that information is taken away from you. And that information then has to be is then. Basically controlled by organized interest groups that aren't political parties. And we see this, especially in school board races where the teachers unions will endorse a slate of candidates. Obviously, they care. Uh, They are deeply interested in getting the teachers unions way. Uh, So they'll make sure that they've picked candidates that are going to support the teachers union's agenda. Mm -hmm. And then all the things that a political party does to win a partisan election, you know, all the things that a political party does, you know, motivating voters, uh, knocking on doors, driving people to the polls, handing out slate cards that say, you know, the the. Republican Party of Pulaski County endorses X, Y, Z candidates. You know, the teachers union does that. And having that organizational support is massively helpful to a candidate. And that the consequence of that is you can have school boards that are wildly out of ideological and practical alignment with the communities that supposedly elect them. Well, I think that's actually what we're seeing play out right now across the country. And and the the what you're seeing with, you know, some of these protests at school boards, some of these, uh, you know, debates over critical race theory, debates over lockdowns, debates over mask mandates. A lot of that is knock on consequence of the teachers unions basically having the 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 controlling hand 
over school board elections that are conducted using these three exploits. Yeah, so it sounds basically like in the nonpartisan elections um, that it's it almost sounds like the the electorate isn't well informed. I mean, I, I hate to say it that way because there's, you know, well, right. the surface- and, and, and you can have, you know, and obviously, like, what if you're in a place like New York City where, you know, it's 70 percent Democratic anyway? Well, then you just kick it up, kick it up a kick it up a degree to the primary, you know, to the Democratic primary election. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And it does it does sound like, you know, oh, nonpartisan sounds like such a great idea, but it does speak to the fact that people don't really know what the candidates stand for. Well, they it's not that they necessarily don't know. It's that they have to do a lot of work to find out. Right. Okay. And the the groups that would normally do that work for you. Political are, parties are ideologically aligned. Are, well, yeah, the, the groups the groups that would do that in a regular election again would be the political parties. Mm-hmm. The groups that do it in a nonpartisan election, well, they're the permanent organized special interest groups, mm-hmm. government worker unions, um, you know, the 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 teachers organization. It's there's a structural. It's a creation of a structural advantage, and. In the absence of meaningful organizational competition, uh, the result is that the te- that the teachers unions get most of what they want almost all of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, and like I said, <clears throat> excuse me, let me clear my throat. There, it does look like that that your second point here about the nonpartisan elections that that is what's been playing out at least on the surface that that's what it looks. like. Like where you have these school boards who are uh, ideologically, certainly Loudoun County is an example, where they're ideologically pushing certain things that the people that live in that county are like, whoa, wait a minute. And they're completely out of alignment. It, is that do you think that that's actually what we're seeing? I don't know if Loudoun is the best example. I mean, that's a county that's been voting Democratic for a little while. Mm-hmm. So the idea that they go a little bit more Democratic than they might otherwise be inclined to in ways that are, you know, seem to be uh, causing some public pushback that that doesn't strike me as vastly out of proportion. I think. Okay. But there are places like Washington County, uh, Maryland, which is a, you know, a 60, 40 Republican county that locked its schools down last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned Why? that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of our colleagues lives, you know, lived there, lived, I believe still lives there, but had to pull his kids out of the schools there. Um because the schools were locked down mm-hmm. and they were locked down in part because the teachers union had a majority of the school board, which was elected in a nonpartisan in nonpartisan elections. And then get making it even more difficult to, you know, sort of create representation for opponents of things like school lockdowns um, in in that county. You have block voting, which you know, again, think of a normal, you know, congressional election, you know, unless you live in Maine or Alaska because they're weird. Uh, you know, you've you've <laughs> got we apologize to Maine and Alaska. <laughs> and, and, and you, when Go you ahead. adopt when you adopt ranked choice voting, uh, you're weird. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I am not a fan of ranked choice voting. I'll just leave it I at that. Know. I know. Um, and we can talk. We could talk about that some other time, but block voting, 
as bad as ranked choice <laughs> voting is, block voting is worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, if you're in a, a standard state and you're voting in a congressional election, you've got, you know, a list of candidates, you pick one, most votes wins. Simple. Uh, and then in the neighboring district, they have their list of candidates, pick one, most votes wins. You go, you build a legislature, you have, you know, majority minority party, you debate, you argue, you know, that that's just how it goes. Well, in block voting, everybody, you know, everybody's pulled together. Everybody gets multiple votes. And most votes wins. In practice, this makes it very easy for an organized interest, e.g. a teacher's union, Mm -hmm. to endorse a slate of candidates. So let's say you're picking five from 15. Well, the nice, nice woman from the teacher's union hands you a slate card. It has five names on it. You pick those five names. Right. And that gives a structural advantage to the teacher's union and it's going to create non-proportional representation. Right. Because whoever, you know, if everybody's voting a slate, it's not that, you know, let's say 59% vote for the teachers union slate and 40% vote for the anti-teachers union slate. So you have three teachers union candidates get elected and two opposition candidates. No, you get five zero. If it's if it's by block vote. So, okay, so so both nonpartisan and block voting are ways to basically and put put them and put them together. Mm -hmm. Give give the give the organized special interests control of information with nonpartisan races and the ability to, you know, organize and win nonproportional blowouts with block voting. You're going to get unrepresentative government. Okay, fascinating. Before we close out, let me just bring it back around to the union influence here. We've been talking a lot about teachers unions, obviously. Um, So let's talk just a little bit about how, you know, teachers unions, like how they manage to be so influential, how they manage to be the sort of um, the group that uh, if there's a nonpartisan election they're the ones that can go well you know we're just funded well enough that we can pick the candidates that we want and get the promotional material out there and get everybody to vote for them how does that happen like from a practical perspective part of it part of it is just resources uh the aft and the nea have millions of dollars that they can put towards uh, broader political organizing they can put towards electoral efforts that they can put towards advocacy. Mm-hmm. Part of it is that at least before the COVID pandemic, who knows what's gone on in, in recent months, uh, you know, teachers unions were seen as sort of the voice of teachers and people like teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had some, some undeserved, uh, you know, uh, favorable reflection. Um, the issues may not have been as salient, you know, I mean, the median voter generally wants more money and more quality for his public schools. The teachers unions generally are seen to support that. Now, 
what the teachers unions are putting at the front of their campaigns uh, and what they're being known for in the public discourse is deservedly changing. Uh, well, they've, they, they've sort of they done that to themselves. Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. No, they, they, you know, when you, when you stand for school lockdowns, when you stand for uh, unjustified mask mandates, when you stand for critical race theory, when you stand for, uh, you know, I, I mean, it just came out today that the Richmond, Virginia public schools are closing for a week for mental health of their employees. Right. You know, like when you see the, uh, you know, what the teachers unions are now standing for, they're not just standing for, you know, yeah, maybe we want to raise your taxes, but it's for your kids. Good. You know, you're really going to get outraged about that. Uh, you know, maybe that that is changing, but certainly in the before times, they had the organization in place. It's a permanent organization. Teachers Union always exists. Uh, and there was nothing really stirring organizing against them. And without a permanent in- infrastructure of opposition, like in a partisan, you know, the, like the Republican Party, if nothing else exists to oppose the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party, if nothing else exists to oppose the Republican Party. Uh, and they are in, you know, permanent, you know, for. When was the 1856 election, you know, 175 years plus or minus, mm-hmm. you know, they've been going at it. So you you mentioned and this will be my final question you mentioned. And so I so I'm understanding that you're what you're saying. And I think that the permanent organizational sort of idea is a very important one because these are hard things to change. But you mentioned in your op ed that uh, the Manhattan Institute has this idea that these municipal elections should be aligned with the state and federal elections. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Do you think yes. that's the right way to go? I think that's a start. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, that just solves the uh, that just solves the the off cycle. You know, non the extent to which off cycle elections make them non representative. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, you still. If I could snap my fingers, I'd probably get rid of block voting, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's probably going to be harder uh, just as a as an advocacy task. Um, The. But it also seems to me that it would alleviate some of the. And maybe this is just wrapped into the, you know, off site or, or, or off sort of season elections. The the mathematical problem where there's just not that many people voting. Because oh, sure. People yeah. Are no. already... And and and, in, and Manhattan, the Manhattan Institute analysis, they went through because one of the arguments against it is, well, people undervote, you know, people vote for president and Congress and then leave the rest of their ballot blank. Well, right. even when you take that into consideration, uh, the number of votes cast in on cycle, you know, because obviously some municipalities are on cycle. Uh, the number of votes cast in on-cycle municipal elections is higher than off-cycle, mm-hmm. at least as a proportion of registered voters. So then uh, let me ask you this. Uh, if 
what would it take to change this? I mean, this is we are talking about a, fe- a federalized system here where states get to kind of make their own decisions and local politics. They get yep. to do even to a more granular degree. Uh, so, your your state's laws will vary. Uh, maybe it's a state constitutional amendment. Maybe a state can do it. You know, if it's set in law, it can be changed by law. Um, some city, you know, some states, the cities themselves or the counties themselves have the power to set the date and time of the election. Uh, you know, that maybe you can change, try changing it by a ballot measure. It it really depends on the state and the locality. So basically, what, it just would require legislators to say, OK, this is what we want to do. It would require legislators or ballot or ballot initiatives in okay. states that do ballot initiatives. Okay, all very, very interesting. So I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, we this op-ed, you know, I'm not sure where it's going. We're shopping it right now. It's very interesting, and it's a really interesting sort of theory that Mike has come up with. And um, and Manhattan Institute, you know, they're friends of ours and they're brilliant. So I would like to see more people talking about this. And I'm thrilled Mike uh, kind of came up with it and that I could push it out there. So Mike, thanks for explaining it. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to. Yeah, no worries. Okay, guys, that's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have already subscribed, thank you very much. And please leave us a five-star rating. We will talk again next week.